Thank you for that um, rousing song, which ties into the communion and which really sets me up for the sermon right now. And I'm really glad that we're out of our sedative phase now. Uh, now we have light on the subject. My name is Douglas Jacoby. I'm giving the, uh, the message today, the sermon. It's an honor to be with you. And we're in a series from the book of Exodus. As you can see, the birth of a savior on the run, the previous two messages. Next week, uh, which is kind of a continuation again of, of chapter three, where we'll be in a moment, is here I am, send somebody else. But today we're gonna to be looking at the burning bush. And to tell you the truth, this passage I was assigned, I, I think that the series has been structured well. Jeff Hickman is the architect. But just the passage on the burning bush, I see four separate sermons that I would like to do. And that's just not gonna work. Uh, so we're gonna to have to be a little bit focused. Moses is the character we're focusing on. He's mentioned some 850 times in the Bible, about a tenth of those times in the New Testament. He's in a difficult situation. Uh, last week, the title, On the Run, he was on the run. He was in trouble with the authorities for murder, a uh, little uh, skeleton in his closet. And where we meet him today is, is well after that because he fled to the wilderness. He left Egypt, his adoptive country, and he's in trouble. It's not fun to be in trouble uh, with the authorities. Uh, whether you're dragged down the hall to the principal's office or you see the joyous flashing red and blue lights in your rearview mirror or you owe something in tax to the government, it's not fun to be on the wrong side of the government. Of course, we have brothers and sisters around the world who are in difficult situations even, even to, for their faith. Since I've just come back from one of those countries, I thought I would share about this in the intro to my message. Um, and how much do we know about communism? Does anyone know how many communist countries there still are in the world? Someone said zero. No, it's more than zero. I mean, it used to be a lot uh, before the fall of the Iron Curtain. But today, there are five. Uh, of course, there's North Korea. Now, we have, they're quasi-communist places like Russia or Belarus, but they're, not, uh, they're just historically communist. They don't actually practice it. North Korea, well-known, People's Republic of China. Vietnam, which the North went to communism, and then after reunification, the whole country is communist now. Cuba, um, in the year I was born, the revolution took place, but they allied themselves with the Soviet Union and became fully communist in 61. And then, of course, the little Republic of Laos, which is also, which is near Vietnam. What I will share about in the missions minutes before we get to Exodus 3 is just one of those countries. And you can see it right there. And that's Havana. Uh, here's Florida. Here's Havana, Cuba. That's where I've just come back from. How many of you recognize his face? I said, did you recognize his face? And you speak Spanish, you must know it very well. Fidel Castro, uh, for those who are older, you saw him on the news all the time. He popularized the Cuban breakfast, which is a cup of black coffee and a cigar. Uh, I always need more than that, and I, I don't smoke, so don't worry about that. You recognize that other face? the iconic Che Guevara. He's Argentinian, but he was key in the Cuban Revolution. And you see his face absolutely everywhere. So here's the island country of Cuba. Uh, it's actually a really beautiful place. You can see on the far end, 
Uh, down here is Guantanamo. Uh, over here is the capital city of Havana. Um, it's beautiful. I hope you like the pictures. You don't know how many I had to take in order just to get these. <laughs> but beautiful trees. It is a throwback to the 50s. The cars are mainly, uh, they're like Chevrolets and Pontiacs and things like that. And then Ladas and Trabants, Russian cars, which I, I haven't seen since. I, I see those occasionally when I'm in Eastern Europe. It's definitely colorful. Can you see the, you see the image of, of Che right there? Che Guevara, they put it right on the headlight. So that's Viva la Revolucion. Incredible architecture, stately buildings, government buildings, all kinds. And the colors are kind of like, if you've been to San Juan in Puerto Rico, it's kind of like that with, with Moscow thrown in. In other words, things are fine, but some things have, been, have kind of gone to seed. But overall, incredible character, friendly people. Did I take too many pictures? <laughs> it's artsy. Yeah, it's on the ocean. My prayer walk, I walk right to the Atlantic Ocean. And this is... <clears throat> This is a brother. He probably wouldn't want me to say his name uh, because of the situation with the government, being an unregistered underground church. But he's the man. He's also an artist, and he did that. If you uh, follow my Facebook or, or Instagram, you saw that, but he, he made a painting. He gave it to me. I was able to teach on a number of different subjects, as you can see, with a terrific time. And our brother's wife helped me if I ever was getting in trouble with my Spanish. She's, she's a wonderful woman. This is part of the church. The room where they meet is so small that you can only see half the people because there are people on one side and the other side and in a side room looking in. It's challenging um, when what they're doing is technically illegal, uh, but I'm getting the feeling the government cares less and less about this. I think it's getting easier and easier for people to get in to Cuba Poverty, and I asked, um, how many of the members of the church are poor? 50%. I mean, what by Cuban standard poor, and that includes the preacher and his wife. Uh, the, the meeting room is about 300 square feet, uh, which for the whole group and their guests was just crazy. And they're also at a time of transition. I'm sure they appreciate uh, your prayers. They're very excited. Uh, I taught several days, but on the Sunday right after, there was a double birthday party. First was for someone who had turned eight. And then for someone who had turned 80. And there she is. Uh, she's a baby Christian. All these inversions and all this irony. She's just been a Christian a year. But they were so excited. And so um, I wanted to give you their love. I promise that. I wanted to encourage you to think of this, this great place. It's a nonstop, cheap flight from Atlanta. Food prices are low. You can go out to dinner and have a, a sumptuous Cuban dinner for less than $10. That does not include the cigar. You can stay, um, you can do homestays for $30 a night, including your meals. 
or stay in a hostel or a hotel. It's a great walking city. Has almost zero crime. It's like maybe one crime a year. And just tens of thousands of foreigners everywhere. But please remember our brothers and sisters in Cuba. Um, they do have some needs, but they have incredible heart. And their fire has been lit in their heart and is not burning out. The burning bush, that's my assignment today. So we're in the book of Exodus, aren't we? And a, a passage that is familiar to every little Christian or Jewish boy or girl. The passage of the burning bush. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight, see why the bush is not burned up. So Moses, is, he's been on the run from God. He's in the wilderness, probably totally alone, unless the sheep count. And then he sees this bush that's on fire. Now, I read the explanations of skeptics and even some commentators. It's probably not a fire. It's a very bright uh, uh, red uh, shrub that grows. Okay, yeah. That's always possible, but it's easier just to go with the text. I think it's supposed to be a miracle here. And God speaks to him out of the fire. Um, fire catches our attention, doesn't it? Especially when it's coming from our ironing board or, you know, maybe on the top of the, uh, the stove. About a year ago, uh, one of our bushes was on fire, an electrical fire outside our house. Good thing we were there. Um, but it, it gets your attention. And this bush is on fire, and out of the bush comes a voice. Of course, Moses thought he was alone, but God is with him that whole time. Even in, even in the times of wandering, we're never truly alone. God is always there. Even if we were in solitary confinement, even if we were on a retreat, and there was no one within a two-hour walk, no one's ever alone. Well, God got his attention. I want you to also consider that it's the Lord who's taking the initiative here. This is not Moses saying, it's time for me to rededicate my life to God. Because last time I tried, if you weren't here last week, let me fill you in. Moses' people were being oppressed. And he thought he would help out by killing one of the Egyptian bullies. And he kills him, but word gets out. This is really not God's way to bring about la revolution. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So notice a few things here. God is taking the initiative. God is not just God. It's the God of 
Okay, was that me? Okay. That is a projector thing, but don't worry, I can keep talking. Uh, when the light gets back on, that'll be, be good. When it does come back on, um, give me a little signal or make a peep or something so I know. So <clears throat> God, is, God tells Moses, you're on holy ground, so take your shoes off. Now, I don't normally think of that. Um, I sometimes I wouldn't dare wear my shoes. And let's say I've just walked a dog, which happens occasionally, and I step in something. You don't say, well, I got kind of 90% of the dog mess off my shoe. It's okay to come in the house. You wouldn't say, oh, it's only 5%. No, because it stinks, even if it's just a little, little bit. Okay, you got it, man. We want to be holy and pure. In much of the world, you do remove shoes just to go in the house. That's kind of a courtesy. It's a normal thing. But for, uh, for the book of Exodus, and, and there are a number of other places in the Bible, too. Okay, it's all right. It doesn't matter. They saw the picture of Cuba. That was the main thing. I, just want, I want them to pray for me and know I was grateful that I got to go to Cuba. No problem. So what he has to do here, and maybe he slipped, is make time for the holy. I'm wondering if I ask that question, how many of us in the room here actually schedule in our busy lives times where we, so to speak, take our shoes off and are amazed in God's presence and are humbled? Or how many of us are really living like anybody else, any non-Christian or someone who goes to the, you know, the church of the easy pew, where nothing's really expected. We're called to be distinct. We're called to make time. Um, for me, and I shared this in my John series I'm recording, I'd kind of got, gotten away from prayer walks. These are not for everybody, certainly not for every woman, and it depends on where you are too. In a place like Cuba, no problem, because there's basically zero crime. The criminals are actually in danger, more danger of being mugged by you than the other way around. Uh, but <clears throat> not everywhere uh, can this work. But if you can get out and walk and pray, I find this immensely helpful. It's just a perennial weakness of mine. It's easier to listen than to speak. It's easier to read than to pray. And getting out and making that time is a really great thing to do. Well, we continue. It said, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And we'd be afraid too. I would be absolutely terrified. <clears throat> now, Moses, at this age of life, is no spring chicken. We're never too old, is the fact. God will use each of us to touch somebody else's life. Moses, around age 40, had tried to lead his people in the right direction, but he was doing it the wrong way. You know, some people have su suggested that that burning bush was, was even something like a parable for Moses. I'm not, I'm not talking about whether it was burning or not. I'm talking about uh, a kind of significance. Moses had been burning. Uh, I think <clears throat> in the previous chapter, he'd been burning with anger. Uh, he'd been burning the candle um, at both ends. He'd been burning 
in his own strength, but here you've got this bush that's consumed but not consumed. It's on fire, but it's not being burnt up, which that's, exact, that's the way I want to live my life. I, I want to be on fire for God, but I don't want to burn up or burn out. A hard thing to do, unless the fuel is God's presence, God's presence himself, God's Holy Spirit. So that's something to think about. Moses is no spring chicken, but we're never too old to do great things for God. And he does get another chance. And I think that's important. There's simply no such thing as retiring from the Lord. And even if you are one of those lucky few who may retire from your job, never retire from God. So we're going to be busy either way. There's no retirement from the Lord. <clears throat> Maybe you've retired. Maybe it was a long time ago, like a decade or two. And I would urge you to come out of retirement like Moses. Come out. It's never too late. For that matter, it's not just those who are old who might doubt their ability. It's those who are young. You're never too young. I mean, God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, don't say I'm young. I can do with you whatever I need to do. Paul tells Timothy, as a younger man, probably 30s or 40s, don't say you're so young. Don't be so intimidated by the older, respectable members. You still got to speak the truth. But we're never too young. It's a saying. I know you are too young. If you're four, you're not going to be preaching the sermon. Okay. <clears throat> but you know what, I, what I'm getting at here. We're, don't use age as an excuse. Now, Moses is called to relieve his people. God says this. I've observed the misery of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. And then he basically repeats it again. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. How long have they been in Egypt? Long time. According to the Bible, hundreds of years. How long have they been slaves? I don't know. I, I really have no idea. A uh, hundred years, 50 years, 300, I just don't know. But I do know that deliverance was not immediate. That is, this thing had been going on for a while. God is compassionate, he cares. But it doesn't mean that he always intervenes immediately. In the middle of our pain, he may actually take some extra time before he comes to us. Kind of like Jesus and Lazarus. For my, for my website, that's my podcast today. He waits. Lazarus is dead. He's going to raise him from the dead, but he doesn't hurry. And God doesn't hurry. We can always suffer some more. There's something good about that. There's something positive about that. But God is compassionate, and he wants to use us to touch other people's lives. You may be in your 60s. You may be in your 20s. You may be in your teens. You may be in your 80s. I don't care what your age is. I'll honor you with respect due your age. But when it comes to this topic, anyone can do his or her part. Uh, I was talking to the brothers in Cuba, and they said we, some of our members are so weak they can't leave their house. 
said, but they're still just as committed. They're still in the ministry, right? Of course, they're still in the ministry. Because even if you're confined to a bed, by your words or by your attitude, you can have a huge impact on others. We know that's true. But what does Moses say? Basically, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is not so convinced. And as we read the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4, we find a litany of excuses. And I won't steal the thunder from next week's preacher. Don't worry, Tom. But I will make a little comment. It's that every significant male and female of faith in the Bible. When I say significant, I mean not one, you know, this guy was the son of this guy. If all you know is the name, I'm not saying that. But the people who, uh, who are described, who make decisions, whose impact ripples out, every great man or woman at some point makes excuses or hesitates or doubts or has fear. So you can't use those as an excuse. So not only can you not say, I'm too old or I'm too young, don't, 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 don't add any of these other things here. It gets worse. Now, just a little bit more here. Yahweh understands our fears. What's Yahweh? It's a word that appears almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It's translated poorly, I think, <clears throat> Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because it doesn't really mean Lord. Um, it means something else, which we will unveil in just a moment. So Yahweh said, I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. And that's the mountain we read about, Horeb, just another name for Sinai. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites... And say to them, God of our ancestors sent me. And they say, what's his name? How should I respond? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now, if that doesn't strike you as odd, you're not paying attention or else you're overfamiliar with this passage. I mean, if you're going out to dinner, and you have to give your name, and then they give you back one of those things that buzzes and vibrates, hopefully not too long. What name is it under? Well, I usually just use my first name, Douglas, because it's easy. But what if you said, oh, put it under I am. I mean, that would be the weirdest, little sacrilegious, but it'd be odd. I mean, that, that's not a name. That's a statement. Right. And that's probably why most Bible translators don't want to write I am or, or, or even Yahweh, although that, that's appearing in more and more translations because it actually that's what God says his name is. But it's not a name the way your name is a name. Where'd you get your name from? When you were six, your parents brought up the name uh, catalog and you chose it, didn't you? No, probably not. That name, for better or worse, was assigned to you early. It wasn't your call. Well, who, who named God? I mean, there, 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 were no, there was no other being. Besides, God doesn't come into being. It's not like, oh, wow, there's a God in the universe. Better give him a name. God is timeless. 
He's eternal. And so to try to give him a name is superfluous. What would be the point? He simply is. He's the font, the fount of all names and all beings. He's unnameable. Now, he has attributes. I mean, he's the Lord who provides. He's the great I am, as we sang a few minutes ago. God has many names, many attributes, but no real name if you're talking about what's his personal name. So what happens here is that Yahweh reveals himself to Moses. He tells him that it's, I'm Yahweh. I simply am. I'm going to be with you. I'm present with you. That's my great gift, my presence. But I am Yahweh. What an incredible thing. How come we don't use that? How come I never heard of that before? I heard of that when I signed up for a New Testament class when I went to college. When I was 18, I never heard of it. It sounded strange. But it's in the Bible. God is the great I am. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has sent me to you. So he is relational. He's the only God in the ancient world who cares about us. Every other god and goddess, and you can study them all, there are several thousand ancient gods, several thousand. Every one of those simply wants you to feed him or dress her or make a sacrifice for this deity. But God doesn't need anything from us, although he seeks connection, he seeks relationship. He's the God of our fathers and mothers past and future. He's relational. And we reciprocate in seeking glory and honor for his name, not for our name. The book of Genesis has a number of people who seek their own glory, their own name, uh, like Nimrod or the Nephilim or uh, the builders of the Tower of Babel. They say, we want to make a name for ourselves. So the name is a huge biblical theme, but it's God's name that we should be working for. In the Gospel of John, it's God's honor, God's glory that matters to us, no one else's. So what should I do? Let's wrap this up uh, so we can take it home. Well, firstly, we need to allow room for the holy in our life. Maybe you're a brother who could start doing prayer walks instantly. I would heartily recommend it. Uh, for me, uh, this uh, month and next month, I'm just diving really deeply, not just into Exodus, but into John. And that's great, because uh, I see Jesus so easily. Jesus also assumed, in Matthew 6, that his followers would not only pray and help the needy, but also fast. And that's one of those things that we kind of written out of our spirituality. But there are ways we can structure, we can structure our lives to make room for the holy. Secondly, and I just have three, we need to listen for God's word. Listen for God's word and go to Cuba. <laughs> How do we listen for God's word? Well, we, we put time, <laughs> we take time, what's happening here? <coughs> If I'm watching movies three hours a day, and I'm, 
I'm spending 10, 10 minutes a day in God's word, and I'm claiming to be a Christian, something's out of whack, majorly out of whack, because you're letting you know, Hollywood have, in this case, 18 times as much influence on you as the Bible. That's messed up. And thirdly, we should think like missionaries. Moses has kind of cooled down for a while, but he's getting back into active service, and God has a mission for him. God's compassionate. He's going to help his people, but he's not going to do it except through our agency. God uses people to help people. And so you can always hope someone else will do it. But one of the greatest things about being a Christian is that everyone is part of that mission. Everyone's part of that ministry. And I would dare you uh, to ask a very simple question. What impact am I having for the Lord? Really, are you having any impact for God? Are you in the wilderness of Horeb? Are you having a good time with the sheep, but you're out of touch with the Lord? Allow room for the holy. Listen for God's word. Think like a missionary, for that is what we are. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much.